You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Jason Fitz is alive. His party voice is only minimal. And boy, does he have stories to tell from last night's wild one. Monday night football, Raiders, Ravens. It was over. Then it wasn't. Then it was probably over. Then it wasn't. Then it was really over. It was a wild ride and one that I am so grateful there were fans in the building for. That would not have been the same if Allegiant Stadium had not been chock full of Raiders fans ready to explode with a big Raiders victory. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. You can be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz. Let us know what you thought about last night's game. ESPN Nation's presented by Dr. Pepper. College football is back, and so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. So, Fitz, we talked to you midway through last night. Uh, you were getting ready for the game. You were excited. And uh, this is what it sounded like, I presume, when your brain exploded. He's got Renfro is to his left. And here, Jones. here they come. And here they come. Blitz is picked up. Jones is open. Jackpot, baby. Vegas touchdown. This time, no doubt. Put it in the Tell me all about it, friend. Yeah, got all the feels on that, just listening to it again. And it's crazy because this is the type of game I've spent most of my life watching the Raiders lose, right? Like, it's a game that they started off particularly slow, and uh, it, it looked like it was a lost cause, and then all of a sudden they were back in it, and then they give up a field goal, then they get a field goal, and then they go to overtime, and they win, but they don't win. Like, the, the number of times that I sat there, and I, I looked at a random stranger and said things that aren't family appropriate when that play happened because I think we were all just – stunned that the Raiders found a way to win this game and kudos you know as much as there's a game to talk about Sarah like I'll never forget what that night was like for the city for the team for that stadium you wonder what two billion dollars gets you I can tell you what it gets you it gets you a facility that is mind-blowing and that fan base that like I don't know if it's because they had you know Aoki spinning whatever every time they went to commercial everybody had light up wristband bracelets it felt like a nightclub where a football game broke out but it was in every perfect way I, I the environment the experience uh, it's something that I, I struggle to put into words the funniest thing though is the big touchdown that everybody talked about in overtime that was reviewed and you saw it on TV and it turned out that uh, Edwards was down at the one-inch line. We had no idea in the stadium because you couldn't hear enough to know that the referee was even telling you the play was under review. You couldn't hear enough to hear that the play had been overturned. He said loudly and clearly twice, the game is not over. It reminded me of, of the meme with the person in front of the fire. Everything's fine. Nothing is happening. Like... The game is not over. And there's people shaking hands, about to exchange jerseys. Raiders are already in the locker room. It was wild. Yeah, and in the in the stadium, people were looking around. You know, I'm, I'm sitting there wearing a media pass, so people think I know what I'm doing. And they're like, hey, what, what what's going on? I had no idea. I did have to go to Twitter to find out. It, it, they didn't even get the replay up on the screens in time. I think everybody just thought it was done and went into celebration mode. And so, realistically, the air went out of the building, which was really interesting to me 
Bobby the number of times because this crowd was so into it, but this crowd also it felt a little bit like as you you and I are both SNL fans and the uh, the skit that they did years ago, uh, and they've done it on uh, Key and Peele also. Like they do the skits constantly where the beat drops, right? And like you see the beat drop and everybody freaks out. That's what it felt like every time there was a big play. Like you'd go from this quiet hush to all of a sudden mad chaos of everybody jumping up and down. It went up and down so much there you couldn't hear and then all of a sudden with the big win obviously with the walk-off win there was a funny moment where everybody stood in their seats like is it real are we sure can we leave is it okay now it was intense (laughs) I 100% felt for you and here's the thing I wanted to watch it in its entirety with all the build-up and the excitement so I started it when our show ended so I was so far behind it had been over for about an hour by the time I finally got to then and I'm sitting there being like oh my god what's where is Fitz right now? Like he's either in a pool of his own vomit because he did 11 shots of Charles Woodson whiskey after the win. He's still bouncing off the walls, uh, offering to go on any and every radio and TV show that we'll have. And he's trying to crash, you know, SVP set via Zoom to just talk about the game. I just it was so wild. And I want to talk to you. It's Spain and Fitz, by the way, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Fitz was at the Monday night football game, the first Allegiant Stadium game in Vegas with fans. I want to ask you quickly before we get to the football part about the the scene there, because you and I both talked about we were concerned whether is this a fan base that's going to be confused by the DJ and the bottle service and the Vegas part of it. You said there weren't really tailgaters quite as much. It was really hot. A lot of people were just in casinos before. So it didn't feel like a standard football game. Once it started, from my vantage point watching at home, the fans were insane and they were into every play. Yeah, and I'll say being in the stadium, I've, I've been to most of the stadiums in the NFL in this point in my life. I've been lucky to do that. I, I've, I've never seen a stadium so in tune to maximizing the breaks. And it's funny because we always talk about what are stadiums doing to make you want to go to the game instead of watching it on TV. Vegas answered that question clearly uh, because uh, you're right. People were in there early, but they had a live band. And, you know, I'm used to that in in Nashville. They have a live band for the Predators in between periods. But this live band had a huge string section and a huge horn section that were all playing the Monday Night Football theme live and like rocking the place. And then all of a sudden you've got celebrity after celebrity going up and uh, on the Jumbotron, they're doing shots with the band and everybody's watching this happen. And every time they went to commercial break, there was some sort of planned entertainment that engaged the nightclub vibe. So the energy never died down. I thought it was really interesting that they sort of captured Vegas. In fact, one of the few misses to me was they they played the Autumn Wind uh, poem that is such a big part of of history. They played it and they asked the crowd to recite it. And a combination, the acoustics made it really hard to hear video stuff. But also the crowd just didn't seem that into that. They were kind of like, no, we're having a good time jumping around. We don't really want to recite a poem right now. More of a party vibe than old school. Maybe just a a different uh, different era for the Raiders here. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Here's what John Gruden said about the actual game itself. Felt like I died and, and woke up and died again, and I was like a cat. I had multiple lives tonight. I don't like playing like that. It was um, tough, but again, we, we did a lot of really good things to win that football game tonight. So that's what I want to ask you about quickly because I did feel like there were multiple times that I considered you, Gruden, the Raiders, all the fans there dead as well. There were those multiple risky passes from Carr. He was so lucky that none of those were picked off and that the one pick bounced. You know, there was a great run by Tyson Williams that Lewis Riddick actually called. We played the sound on the show beforehand that I thought, okay, their run game's fine. There were penalties. There were miscues. There were moments that I just thought, wow, the Raiders didn't didn't 
you know, weren't going to have enough to keep firing back, and they kept firing back, much more so than I expected out of this team. Yeah, I think the first half was a, a half to forget for Carr and for Darren Waller, frankly, and for a lot of the players in the Raiders. The second half, they came out with a different energy, and the most impressive part of the win was, frankly, the defensive line for the mm-hmm. Raiders. Uh, they never ran out of gas, and I think you could see that. You saw sort of their ability to get guys in and out uh, was huge. Their ability to get pressure all the way through into overtime was huge. So this was a Raiders team that had much more fire and much more sort of attacking and swarming is a a word I used a lot yesterday. You could see the defense particularly swarming to the ball a lot. Crosby. Oh, yeah, Crosby, uh, by the way. And Carl Nassib, a huge play, which how cool is it that we didn't even really talk about it? The first active gay NFL player in the game making big plays, and it was just like, cool, if he can make plays, we're all good. And that was it. And, and and Crosby quickly, I'll say, you know, they talked about his sobriety a lot, and one of the yeah. which is a great portion of his story. But one of the things, if you look at him, you can see that obviously he's taken the last few months to get himself in the best shape of his life. I don't know if that's related to not drinking as much, but I know that he looked physically different on the sidelines than than he did two years ago. If you saw him, so uh, it, it was interesting to see that pay off in the game. I think the Raiders are, are in a much better situation than I thought they were going into Week One. Fitz, I've been told that the more you drink, the more in shape you are, and I'm sticking with that. I don't uh-huh. want to hear the science. Otherwise, I don't want to be told a shape, shape <laughs> of a pear or maybe an apple. Coming up, who surprises in the NFL? Good ways and bad ways. It's coming up next on Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Arizona Cardinals offense, one of our good surprises. We knew they were going to be good, but oh boy, were they good. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guest going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. We will get to the surprisingly good and bad things I mean, that we just, saw You're just done with some surprisingly, inter- surprisingly yeah, bad. I just want to let everyone know what just went down during the commercial break. So for the last, I don't know, however long we've been dealing with COVID, my dog has pretty much sat under my chair for every show because back in the day, my dog had boundaries. And if he knocked on the door while I was doing a show, and he would give up. But uh, then he got so used to being around me all the time that he just insisted and would keep knocking and knocking. And you could hear it during the show. So now I just let him in. Unfortunately, during the commercial break, he just threw up. Um, and I'm going to. No, no, you're not doing it. Yeah. No, it, it, yeah. it we could all hear it yeah. through the mics from a distance. Yeah. You could hear the yeah. just bleh yeah, of, yeah. of liquid. Yeah, multiple wretches. It is a, a a large amount of vomit with a full meal in it and some unidentified things that I'm not sure uh, what he got into. Um, it is now I offer for everyone and there's listening. no window and there's no air conditioning and there's no vent and there is no way for me to escape the smell that is a giant pile of vomit right behind my chair. I offered for everyone that's concerned. <laughs> I offered to take this segment and just let Sarah, you know, go well, handle it. Wait till the commercial break. I'm so a professional, you, you know. You, I invited gonna... another co-host to the show, and I refuse to let him disrupt what we're trying to put together here, which is very clearly award-winning radio. You, so, to, to be clear, the pile of vomit still sits by you to the point that, like, it's now well, it's now soaking. And it was in right something. in front of the door, so I just tried to open the door to let him out in case he had to vomit more. But all that did was drag the door. And I have one of those fabric door under things so uh-huh. that the sound can't get in. So mm. now that's just through the piles of chunks as I tried to open the door. So that and the rug and the general area, probably if I can just roll them all up 
and remove them at the commercial break and deal with it later. Is this one of those times that it's acceptable uh, to just, you know, text Brad and say, hey, you're going to need to come take care of this? I, I did text him, are you home? Uh, no answer yet. Because <laughs> he probably heard it from upstairs and he's like, like, yeah, like yeah. look, I've been the, the, the person. Job. I've been the guy in this situation. You just stay real quiet. And you're like, hey, yeah. if she doesn't know, I don't have to clean it up. And then, well, you recall the uh, show that we did a couple months ago, where I had a bad day, where I got a flat tire, and then lost my credit card, and then mm. didn't have money to pay for my coffee, and then got home, and then Fletch vomited up poop that he had eaten onto the rug that we had bought two days before. And by the end of that day, I just go, nope. And we just rolled up the carpet and just put it in the alley. We were like, we're not going to clean it. That's it. That was it. I don't care if it's new. We're just done with this day. Um, so yeah, Hmm. that's, that's a start, you know, that's a tough start and surprisingly bad, but, uh, we also can give everybody some surprisingly good and bad from the NFL over the course of the weekend. And, you know, obviously I wasn't here yesterday, so we didn't get the chance to do this together, but I think there were some takeaways that are important and I will start Sarah with some good because I know you need some good right now when you're smelling dog vomit from mere Mm -hmm. inches away. So Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to start with the good of not only uh, a good performance, but also uh, the good of me throwing myself on the sword. I really, you know that I'm not high on the Steelers at all. Uh, I know my beloved Raiders are taking on the Steelers in Pittsburgh this week. When you watch that defense and the way that defense played, yeah, there are still a million issues with the offense, and I don't believe in the team overall. But, my God, I I walked away from that performance saying, man, is that defense actually so stinking good that much like the Ravens, you know, a generation ago, they don't need an offense to win football games? Because that's what it felt like watching them absolutely throttle a Bills team that I thought was going to go in and, and make a statement. Completely agree. I still have question marks about the Steelers' ability to beat better teams, teams that are playing more successfully in the moment because of the lack of the deep ball. We've known that about Ben Roethlisberger for the last couple of years, but not being able to be a deep threat in any way and stretch out the field, I think may be a problem. That D is certainly going to help them even more than I imagine. And TJ Watt immediately earning that money, but still a question for me with the Steelers Cardinals offense is the same thing for me. They were so spectacular, so fun to watch. This is kind of what I expected. The question is, can they put together a full, well-rounded team to actually compete, especially because that's such a tough division, but the Cardinals offense surprisingly even better. Yeah. I I think there's an element for me where we talked about pressure going into the year and how much pressure I think there is on Cliff Kingsbury. Not, not, let me be clear. uh, I think Kyler Murray, no matter what happens this year has shown enough that if things go wrong for the Cardinals, he's going to be just fine. It's Cliff Kingsbury that loses his job. So what was that going to look like offensively? And, I mean, the answer was unstoppable. The question is, was the offense that unstoppable because it turns out the Titans' defense is still just a pile of hot, you know, dog vomit? Uh, we don't know that oh, yet. Oh, yeah, so. thanks. Too soon. <laughs> Too soon. Um, moving on, we'll go through these quickly. The Bengals passing him. I don't have a ton to say about it, but I was impressed. Joe Burrow coming off a catastrophic injury looked really impressive. They are facing my Bears next week, whose defense looked pretty ragged. So will they have another great showing? Again, a team I don't have big expectations for, but really nice to see Joe Burrow and that team get off to a good start offensively and get that win. And then I'm going to say also Hurts was surprising to me. Jalen Hurts and the Eagles, his jersey flying off the racks now as Philly embraces him. I was kind of out on that. I wasn't in or out. I was just sort of let me wait and see. And he was better and sharper and had a better control of the game than I expected. And then finally, I think the Seahawks. I don't know if you shared some of those, but the Seahawks, um, I, I just, they, they were very buzzless entering this year. And I think I might have preemptively closed the window on them too early. 
Yeah, I think part of the Seahawks portion for me is that I really believe in the Colts, and the Seahawks made the Colts look bad. So now we got to figure right. out over the course of the next few weeks, is that the Seahawks or is that the Colts? Speaking of bad, I mentioned the Titans' defense already, uh, but also the Titans' offense. There, That's inexcusable. Taylor Lewan getting just roasted, and he went to Twitter afterwards and said, hey, Oof, I'll be better next it. week. But you, you give up five sacks to Chandler Jones, and I, it, it's just tough to show your face in the facility the next day. The Titans' offense, surprisingly bad to me, as was the Jags. Like I, I thought the Jags were going to be able to do something against the Texans, and instead they got just, just throttled mm-hmm. by the team that I think is the worst in football. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it. You're right about the Titans. I mean, jury's still out for me. I want to see more. I don't think it's possible to just shut down Derrick Henry the way they did repeatedly week after week. I think there was just something didn't click there. They looked very listless, but I want to see more. The Jags, I knew were going to be bad. But remember when I said this was the basement bowl and we were going to find out which of those teams was really the true basement of that division? Somehow they made the Texans look good like I don't, it was that bad for the Jags and hearing all the rumors about there already being discord among the staff with Urban it's just gonna get ugly over there yeah and that's gonna be the most interesting like there were ups, ups and downs for Trevor Lawrence through some picks that's regrettable uh, but Trevor Lawrence I still think has so much ability it, it's hard to screw that up but if anybody can do it it looks like it might be the yeah. Jags it's so early in this let's see how they adjust but to get beat that way it's not that they lost to the Texans is that they got absolutely dismantled by the Texans. It makes no sense. So I want to play Rex Ryan's sound. We're running out of time. We're going to have to play it later in the show. He just really goes off on Daniel Jones. And I think, unfortunately for New York Giants fans and potentially Daniel Jones truthers, he's right about that. We're going to get in. we got to get that in somewhere in the show. That sound is too good. And I also think... You know, you can't do this surprisingly bad segment without mentioning the Packers. Like the Titans, I want to see more. I want to keep my eyes open to the possibility that that was just one shrug it off bad performance, which I think is more how we would be seeing it if not for all the drama in the offseason. Because of the offseason drama, there's conspiracy theories that Aaron Rodgers is tossing the game and other things. I think that's mostly why people are reacting so strongly. They have clunkers like this sometimes, and they usually move on. Yeah, and at the end of the day, I think that there's going to be a lot of takery that goes on about mm-hmm. this that's going to be regrettable in a few weeks. I completely agreed. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, and a dog and a pile of vomit. Coming up, we'll bring in a former NFL player. He's going to give us his take on the surprises of week one, and I'm going to spend the next four minutes and 30 seconds trying to get this vomit out of my closet. Blech. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests will join us on the Goodyear hotline, and obviously we're going to keep breaking down everything just, you know, realistically, because I'm still on cloud nine after seeing my beloved Raiders pull off an incredible win in the wee hours of the morning. Not only that, but we've seen it in person. The stories will keep coming. Uh, Sarah, we got to get to our guest, I know, but where are we? Uh, For anyone that didn't hear it a few moments ago, uh, Sarah's dog may or may not have profusely vomited everywhere on the floor. uh, Yeah, it was a bad one. I'm starting uh, to think after cleaning it up and as the smell lingers that it might have been one of those where he ate his own poop and then puked it up because it was one of those serious in terms of both smell and content. I have a Christmas cookie, Yankee candle on my desk. I rolled up the carpet and the doorstop that was covered in vomit. I threw it out onto my patio to deal with later. And my husband helped me clean up the floor. And now we're somewhere in a state of uh, not nearly as awful as before, but just really needing this Yankee candle to pull through for me. We will keep you updated on how the candle performs. Obviously, this is the truest metric of it. Let's get to some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And to do that, 
we head over to the Goodyear hotline where we're joined by former NFL cornerback Darius Butler. You can check out the man-to-man pod with former NFL DB Antoine Bethea on Mondays and Thursdays. Darius, always love hanging out with you, my friend. Thanks for hanging out with us. And we'll start selfishly because I am a Raiders fan with last night's game. Are we going to get your thoughts on everything from week one? But when you see a team that plays, you know, up and down as both teams did last night, but gets the win, what kind of takeaway can you have as an organization when you don't play your best, but you still get a big win? Oh, man. I mean, it's so hard. First of all, I appreciate you guys having me, but uh, it, it's so hard to get a win in the NFL. So, you know, ugly or not, you know, wins a win, obviously. I, I felt like they won that game twice almost, you know, them getting down there and right. <laughs> ending it the way they did. Derek Carr throwing that pick. It, I mean, it was just a, a wild series, series of, of events. Um, I couldn't – I mean, it was an amazing way to finish out uh, week one. But I'm sure Gruden probably had a a heart attack and a half on that sideline. You know, Darius, we were talking about some of the surprises, both good and bad, from this weekend. And uh, which one of these, if you had to pick, do you think is more likely to have a bounce back in week two, the Packers or the Titans offense? Both of them were surprisingly bad. Um, I would have to go with the Packers. I got to go to Packers. I mean, I mean, it's, it's the defending MVP. And obviously they had a lot of drama going on in the offseason. Um, nobody expected, uh, you know, them to get the brakes be off them like they did down there in, uh, in Jacksonville. But um, I, I expect definitely to bounce back. I mean, They've got, they got the lines, too. A little Detroit. better. Yeah, you know, I'm about yeah. to say. They, <laughs> they, they got a home game against Detroit. So I, I definitely expect those guys to bounce back. But, uh, I mean, New Orleans in that game, I mean, they dominated from, from wire to wire. Started up front. Aaron Rodgers never got comfortable. Um, Jameis was efficient. They had a short field a bunch of the day. Um, but I expect Green Bay to bounce back and, uh, you know, still win that division this year. Tennessee, I expect them also to bounce back. But I, if I had to bet on one of those teams or pick one of those teams, I would definitely pick Green Bay, um, you know, hosting uh, the Lions at home. I'm still trying to wrap my head around, Darius, how a Titans team that I had huge expectations for – how their offensive line can look that lost when there's really nothing new that they're dealing with. Like, how do you explain that sort of performance, especially from Lawan, who has a good reputation as being an elite player in this league? I mean, it, it, it's kind of unexplainable. I mean, we, we did, I, I mean, I had high expectations for this Arizona defensive line coming into this season as well. Um, but like you said, the Titans have been a good offensive line. You got Lawan back, you know, from injury, who's been one of the, you know, better left tackles in the league for a while. Um, it's week one. You know, that's really, uh, I guess, the only thing you can chalk it up to. I mean, they did. You should be familiar with the uh, offensive coordinator. He came over from um, Las Vegas last year, and uh, they did a terrible <laughs> job of adjusting. I think when a guy gets five sacks, especially a guy the caliber of Chandler Jones, um, he gets five sacks in the first quarter. He had one sack where, you know, Tannehill was booting out naked and he w- nobody blocked him. It was a strip sack. So, I mean, I, th- I put that on coach and I definitely put it on the one as well. But you got to adjust at some point. You can't let one guy uh, single-handedly wreck that game. And uh, that's what they did with uh, Chandler Jones. I mean, he's got to be the top of MVP and defensive player of the year conversations right, right now. And the top of uh, back right asking for that money that they didn't want to give him. And then he comes out game one like that. We're talking to former NFL cornerback Darius Butler, co-host of the man-to-man pod with former defensive back Antoine Bethea on Mondays and Thursdays. I want to play you some sound quick and see if you agree. This is Rex Ryan reacting to yet another bad performance (laughs) from Daniel Jones. 
Now, oh, here's boy. the thing. You never answered it. No, but Out of the last 15 games, he's ranked 34th in QBR. Uh-huh. And so, yes. But yeah. the big mollies, man. Look, I, 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 I'm sitting back going, look, the big mollies that Gettleman told me about three or four years ago, how he's going to build them up front, they're not there. They, they average 2.6 a carry. And yes, I got to admit, my guy still can't protect the football. So I'm done with you, Daniel Jones. Just like I was done with Mark Sanchez at some point. Wow, I am done. He just got some fire. He just and I love Mark, but I'm done. Personal. He just got ambushed. How about that collateral insult? Okay, so let's leave Mark Sanchez out of this for now. But is it time to just say they didn't get it with Daniel Jones and move on? Have we given enough time with with weapons that are actually healthy and out there with them? Man, I hate that Mark Sanchez caught that string. But uh, <laughs> I mean, you got, I gotta agree with uh, with, with uh, Rex right there. And uh, my co-host Antoine, he actually played with uh, Daniel Jones out there in New York for a year, and he was high on him coming into this year. You know, all of the weapons and the capital that they put um, around him. But uh, I just haven't been high on him. You know, just like uh, Rex said, you got to, first and foremost, as a quarterback in the NFL, you got to be able to take care of the ball. Like, that's the that's the bottom. You have to take care of the ball. You have the most control over that team because you touch the ball every play. And uh, if he can't get that under wraps, he went multiple games in a row last year not throwing a touchdown. I mean, at this point, it, it's not looking good. Um, if they keep playing how they played this past Sunday, they'll most likely be having a high draft pick here pretty soon. So they got to go in a different direction at the quarterback position. I definitely believe that. I think Joe Judge is a good coach, and I think they've done some good things on the defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, who knows if Saquon will ever be him say, his same self again. I hope he will. He's still super young. But, yeah, I, I think it's time to definitely. Uh, and, and I heard, um, who did I hear talking about, you know, how I think it might have been uh, Clyde Christensen talking about how in today's NFL, you know, teams are so quick to move on and pull a plug on these young yeah. quarterbacks. Uh, but, yeah, Daniel Jones, he, he has the talent. You can see him at sometimes make all the throws. He's athletic. He's an athletic guy, but he just can't take care of the ball. He can't be. Uh, consistently uh, the guy that puts his team in a, in a position to win ball games. So when you have that quarterback position, you got to move on. We're talking to former NFL cornerback Darius Butler. Check out the man-to-man pod uh, every Monday and Thursday. So I'm trying to get a real sense without being hot takey here, Darius, and I think you can help me. Yeah. There was no preseason for a lot of these starters. We know that. So uh, we also saw a lot of surprises in week one. Given the fact that we haven't seen a lot of reps with these guys together, how long does it take for you watching these teams to figure out how good or bad a team is going to be? Uh, for me, honestly, uh, I would say about four weeks. You know, usually I, I, even being in a locker room, being a player, kind of after that first quarter of the season now, obviously you have 17 games, but usually after that first quarter of the season, you can kind of assess where you are, where the rest of the division is. Um, so it's going to be a lot of teams that uh, come out in week two and look completely different than they did in week one. Sometimes, you know, it's a matchup league as well. So I don't want to overreact too much. I know it's, you know, we've been waiting for this season with so much anticipation for so long. Um, so it's easy to overreact, especially when your team wins. Uh, but, you know, after this first four games, then I think we'll all be able to kind of zoom out a little bit and say, okay, they need to improve here. This is what they got. Okay, Justin Herbert will be the MVP this year. All right, this guy stinks. Let's go here. So uh, <laughs> after four you know, after four weeks, I think we'll have a better sense of things. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to former NFL cornerback Darius Butler. Uh, you're a defensive guy. You understand how much a good defense can help. 
Is the Steelers' defense good enough to make up for a team that likely will not have any deep threats on the offense because of the state of Big Ben and his arm? You know, I, I think they'll be able to get behind some people this year. But the defense is good enough, for sure. You're getting Bush back. Um, you got Joe Hayden on the contract years. You got the you know 80 million man guaranteed up front, who's a one-man wrecking crew. Um, Ingram is talented. You got you got pieces. This team has led the, this defense has led the NFL in the sacks the last four years running, which is an NFL record. So I mean, I trust that defense, and I think Big Ben he's old enough and savvy enough to I can still hold out hope for him to figure it out to have him in position to win ball games week in and week out. Um, so so yeah, I think they'll still be able to have. Um, a, a, a nice run this year. And I think this is honestly their last year. They haven't done really thing significant in the quarterback department, you know, to set up for post Big Ben. But uh, right. hopefully this year they can make some noise. Uh, that's a very, very tough division. That I think though, every team in that division, we saw the Bengals pull out a late win. Uh, yes, I think every team in that division will get better week by week. So Big Ben, is, he is going to have a choice. Um, but to improve and keep it. And, I, and I, I can't look at that team and say, hey, you know, Big Ben is just going to suck and hold them back for the entire year. Maybe that's just me and, you know, he's thrown five or six touchdowns on me uh, a couple times, so maybe I'm still, I still got that stuck in the back of my head somewhere. But I see the Steelers, you know, having a very, you know, competitive, like a, you know, 11, 10, 11 win type season. Yeah, look, hey, we disagree on that. But more importantly, that all needs to start <laughs> after next week. Like, the Raiders play the Steelers Sunday. After that, they can do whatever they want. Darius, we appreciate your time, man. As always, thanks for hanging out with us, my friend. We appreciate it. Be sure to check out the Man to Man podcast, everybody. Thanks, Darius. Hey, thank you. Guys. Hey, we're, how was that stadium? Dude, unbel- like, whatever you think, it's ten times better. Like, I am, I'm still shook amazing, from being there. Man. Darius, meet us there for Bears Raiders. Let's party. Yeah, we're going out there, Bears Raiders. Come on, hang out with us. All right, I might meet you out there. Look at that. That's, <laughs> All right. That was the might. Like that was the guy that's like, I might, I might meet Mike, you at the club. Listen, like he's like, I got, I got I'm gonna see if I get better invites. That are much cooler like, than you. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. take my PJ over there. I'll maybe yeah, see probably. if I run into you in the concourse. That's some straight talk. Straight talk. Wireless. <laughs> no contract. No compromise. Coming up, we'll remember a comic legend, Spain and Fitz, on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. If you listen to Spain and Fitz at all, you know that there are. I don't think there's a show more influenced on our airwaves by Saturday Night Live than this one. Sarah and I are both mm-hmm. massive fans, and we bring that influence into everything that we do here with this show and everything that we do for the network in general. So with that being said, obviously anyone that's a mega fan of SNL knows Norm McDonald's work, and uh, unfortunately we lost him today. So we wanted to take a minute and tip the hat and to give a little tribute to somebody that's had such a huge impact to us, not just from SNL, but from all of his greatness and the great work that he's done. Former Saturday Night Live cast member and Weekend Update host Norm MacDonald has died. Hey, uh, check out the podium. Look at this. Mr. Reynolds has apparently changed his name to Turd Ferguson. (laughs) That's right. Turd Ferguson. It's a funny name. I don't like ambiguous endings. I want to know. I don't want to try to figure it out. What about the Sopranos ending? Did Uh, you like that? You didn't care for that? (laughs) (laughs) I want to know. I don't want to be left. Like, I remember this movie, Lost in Translation. Bill Murray couldn't love the guy more. But you ever remember that movie? Yeah. At the end of the movie, uh, you see it. It's all good and everything. He runs through the crowd, whispers into Scarlett Johansson's ears. They don't have a mic. <laughs> and there's Charles Woodson. How about that? Oh, what a season he had. Great, Manny. 
He became the first defensive player to win the Heisman Trophy. And congratulations, Charles. That is something that no one can ever take away from you. Unless you kill your wife and a waiter, in which case... <laughs> all bets are off. Just backstage, a lot of celebrities back there, man. I was talking to Jerry Jones, you know, the Cowboys owner, and uh, he's disappointed, obviously. Yeah. Well, he's a good guy, though, man. He's, he's talking about rebuilding the team, you know? And he told me, he says, we have to get back to what made us a championship team. Strippers and crack. See, in the old days, a man could just get sick and die, you know? Now, they have to wage a battle. So, so my Uncle Bert is waging a, a courageous battle. Which I've seen, because I go and visit him, and this is the battle. He's lying in a hospital bed with a thing in his arm watching Matlock on the TV. And the reason I don't like it is because in the old days, they go, Hey, that old man died. Now, they go, Hey, he, he lost his battle. That's no way to end your life, you know. What a loser that guy was. Last thing he did was lose. Norm MacDonald was 61. I think I nailed that tribute. That was really well done. Sarah. Thank that you. Was, uh, yeah, he absolutely. was a fantastic comedian who was always on the edge. Tough to find stuff we could play on our air here, to be honest with you. Uh, a lot of uh, the old stuff, especially not so PC. Um, and, and, you know, there are certainly things that he said and jokes that he made that people disagreed with, but he pushed the limits and he kept all the other comedians guessing, which is one of the reasons that they loved him. His brain just worked differently. And you knew even when he was being weird and mysterious that he was going to land it perfectly. And so you just had to try to ride the journey with him. And uh, I had a chance to meet him very briefly uh, a couple years ago. And uh, he, yeah, he was just one of a kind. Hilarious. Well, and it all comes back to perspective uh, and, and different perspective. One thing that you mentioned, and I think part of the reason that comics have such an influence outside of just comedy is that they see the world differently. And one thing that has always influenced each of us individually but brings us together in this show is that we see things a little differently than maybe some of the other people that do sports talk for a living. So mm-hmm. it's uh, well it's said. always uh, it's always important to keep that. Uh, and, and right now I think it's an important time to just look back at uh, at the entertainment that came from somebody that gave so much to so many of us. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Uh, there's We're a sports show. We're going to get back to it. Uh, obviously, have a little fun. We should tell everybody we're going to talk to Jess Mendoza in just a couple of minutes. So, Sarah, I thought if you were good with it, we could get back to eliminating baseball teams in my bachelor quest. Oh, we need to. Yeah. All right, Sarah. So... We've been whittling down through the process of elimination different places, and we're now to the next round in The Bachelor, and this is one that is going to get people fired up. Is It is time to eliminate teams based solely on the cities that I don't really want to hang out in. Yeah, I think you're going to make some people angry, but you're down (laughs) to just 10 teams, and if you're trying to pick one baseball team to love and root for forever until some team moves to Vegas and you immediately change your decision, you're going to have to base that on places that you want to actually go watch a game. Yeah, and so this is important context as everybody's going to get fired up over this. Understand, we've already whittled for several different categories. So if you come at me now and say, well, why aren't you eliminating this team right. but they've already been eliminated? Well, that here, doesn't let's, let's quickly tell them. The remaining teams are the Braves, Red Sox, Reds, Brewers, Yankees, Phillies, Padres, Giants, Rays, and Nationals because he has already eliminated teams based on ballpark food, not having a bunch of great young personalities, uniforms, and deal breakers. Now we're on to cities. This is going to get us to the top five. 
Yeah, well, and the first one that's easy to eliminate from this list because I lived very close to it for a long time, and this is going to really irritate Nashville. I'm out on the Braves. Atlanta, wow. gone. Traffic wow. is a nightmare in Atlanta. I love you, Trevor Scales, by the way. Trevor Scales, I, I, I can hear this. L. Duncan, I love you all wow. very much. But the traffic's a nightmare. And look, it's not easy to really drive to from Nashville all the times that I tried to do that. Every time I went to Atlanta for something, it got more complicated than it needed to get to. It's not always known as the most fired up of sports cities. So, I'm out on Atlanta. Is that is that hot takery? Are we, are we... I mean, keep it moving. Keep it moving. We're right, going to ask no. the people how they feel. Well, this isn't going to go yeah, any better. I'm out on Philly. Philadelphia. Ooh, gone. Boy. I mean, you Uh-oh, got, you got cheesesteak and nothing else. Like that. Wow. There's just, I mean, it, it's, it's, I've had some several days off in Philadelphia, and it's not one of those places where you look around and say, oh, I got to get more of that. I'm out on San Francisco. It's uh, too expensive. It's too expensive. You're not going to live there. No, well, I got to go out there to go to games. So we're talking wow. about cities I don't want to go trash. to. That's trash. What a great city. I'm out on Tampa Bay because it's Tampa Bay and it needed to be out of this list a long time ago. Whoa. And lastly, this one was the toughest for me to eliminate. I'm eliminating Washington. I like Washington a lot, but Whoa. I had to keep Boston, Cincinnati, Milwaukee, New York, and San Diego out of that list. So Cincinnati. I- you did not have to keep Cincinnati. Kings for Island. what reason? Kings Island is such an awesome theme You're park. You're out I'm in. of your mind I, uh, roller for a theme a great, park? For, yeah, theme park, yeah. I'm in on you a theme park. You are out of your mind. I'm posting theme park all of over these museums. on Twitter, at this. Sarah Spade, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz, with zero context. Just going to pick the worst thing you said about each place and see what people think should they reconsider should he reconsider dr pepper twitter feed is where you go tell him that he was wrong jessica mendoza is coming up next year on spain and fitz spain and fitz the podcast it's spain and fitz sarah spain jason fitz with you espn radio espn app sirius xm channel 80 people are chiming in how are you going to get rid of new york i mean how are you going to keep new york but get rid of San Francisco for being too expensive. It's okay, a valid yeah, point. No, no, no. Crazy. See, because I'm not talking about just in the ballpark. Like, I, I, every time I go to New York, I can find a hole-in-the-wall place and get a perfect slice of pizza for basically nothing. You, plus, you can get street meat anywhere for okay, virtually nothing, would. and you it's going to be delight. You can't do that in San Francisco. I have a friend named DJ Street Meat because he discovered a bacon-wrapped hot dog on the floor near his DJ stand about five hours into a pretty bad trip, and he ate it while everybody watched, and now he's DJ Street Meat. But that's a story for another time. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Jess Mendoza going to join it's us cool now, man, ESPN though. MLB analyst. She joins us on the Goodyear Hotline to talk about not – Jason Fitz's bachelor picks and the team he'll select, but real baseball, the baseball that's going on on the field. I want to start just with a heated argument we got into today on Around the Horn. We're going to talk about it later on our show as well. But if you had to choose now, are you going Vlad Jr. if he hits the triple crown or are you going Shohei for his unprecedented year? MVP, I I'm still got to go Shohei. Yeah. And for as well as Vlad, and ridiculous, by the way, my entire Blue Jays offense is so under-talked about just I get it, they're in the country up north, but just what their offense has done, like, period, right? Just the amount, and especially as of late, the last two weeks. But let's be real. When we look back on this 2021 season, and we the Triple Crown for as amazing as that is, I mean, we've never seen anything like Shohei Otani ever um, in the game. And there were comparisons to Babe Ruth and what he could do pitching and hitting, and he's surpassed all of that So um, in this season. So we have to be able to reward that for what it is. And we don't know if it, he'll be able to replicate it again. So in this 2021 time of what he's done, there's just, I mean, there's no comparison. 
Jess, you mentioned the Rays have been just on such a massive offensive run. It's been sustained at this point, but but what was really the key for them in getting so hot offensively? You know, I think, you know, first of all, Randall Grichik being able to step in and replace George Springer for the injuries that he's had, to the push of even guys off the bench. Um, Tiash Hernandez, who has been insane to watch in the numbers um, that he has put up. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think even when George Springer's back healthy, they've got so many young players. That are ridiculous. I think it's like close to 120 runs that they've scored this month alone. I mean, yeah, just insanity. Fine around that, and I get against the Orioles this last weekend and the 22 in one game and all of that. But still, I mean, the Yankees are playing the Orioles right now, and they've got <laughs> ridiculous offensive potential to be able to do the same thing, and and they they won't. Um, so it, it's one thing to have stars, but the fact that they've been able to put it on when it matters the most. And guys, if they end up in that wild card game, just think about how exciting. I, I believe it'll be because there's a lot of people that aren't paying attention to baseball that are going to see this team possibly in October explode. Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Jess Mendoza, ESPN MLB analyst. Yeah, Toronto right now sitting at the top of that AL wild card. Yankees, Boston, Seattle, Oakland, they're all sort of in the mix there. Um, you know, that that grouping has sort of been shuffling along for a couple of weeks now. Who are you most confident? Is it the Toronto team that's been hotter of late, or do you, you know, nine and one in their last ten, while the Yankees have been two and eight, or do you think that there's still some time for some movement around there before the season ends? Well, I think you know we get caught up in the East and of the AL East teams, and obviously the Yankees and Red Sox are always going to get talked about the most. Um, I I actually really like the West right now, and the A's and the Mariners. I mean. They, they never get the credit they deserve because they're in a division that isn't as fun and sexy. And honestly, the Oakland A's like it for as good as they've been the last two years and getting their teams into the postseason, doing it in unhistoric ways. Um, you know, I, I think there's going to be – and Seattle and the A's play each other seven times before October. So I think it's going to be one or the other. We won't see both. Um, but for all the love that the East gets, I, I just like to turn to the West and look at – I'd love to see Seattle break – the, you know, the losing streak or the inability to be able to give them the postseason now um, for more than any other professional team um, in the history of any sport. Um, so I'd love to. I know I live in the Northwest, but to see Seattle sneak in. They beat Boston last night 5-4. to four. No one was watching that game, but I was. <laughs> um, to see how they did it, um, they, they just piecemeal. And they're playing because they're having so much fun. It reminds me, Sarah, of that Nationals team that ended up going on and winning the World Series. Yeah. Because they weren't very good. They finished. They snuck in there. No one was talking about it. They weren't even great in the division. They were actually kind of crappy through most of the year. But, oh, my gosh, like with Baby Shark and all the fun that they were having, they won a ton of games. They ended up winning it all. I'm not saying the Mariners will. But just watch out for the AL West and the A's and the Mariners. We're talking ESPN Major League Baseball analyst Jessica Mendoza on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Let's uh, switch over and look at the NL a little bit because I feel like over the last month, every time I ask about the Giants, I'm told that they're going to hit a wall and the Dodgers will catch them, and then <laughs> that just never happens. What have we yeah, consistently got Stop wrong? Stop asking me. I, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what are we all getting wrong about the Giants? The fact that they're such a power team. I mean, I think that it still blows my mind. I had them last week, and – 
this, first of all, it's a stadium that no one hits home runs, and no one has more home runs than the San Francisco Giants, and they've hit a ton of them in their home stadium, and they're doing it. It's almost like, and remind you, they did pull their, their fences in this year, or I think actually before, like sometime around before the, the season last year, and then more so this year. And we're talking eight feet. It's not a huge difference. But San Francisco is a park you just don't hit home runs in. This team is doing that. But there's over 10 players with over 10 home runs. And what I mean by that is it isn't one guy. I think Brandon Belt's the only one that's hit 20. Everybody out there's bench guys, and you get a new Mauricio Dubon, the only player from Honduras is coming in there and hitting home runs. I mean, it's exciting to see them continue this. But to answer your question, because I'm there too, I mean, you look at the Los Angeles Dodgers, and everyone has been waiting since, you know, okay, fine, Giants, you've had your fun, but after the All-Star break, okay, once August hits, September, the Giants <laughs> are still there yeah. in the lead. And why? Because Farhan Zaidi has created a team with depth. So when everyone else loses their dudes, they get their 30-plus home run guys that aren't doing it. Um, Cody Bellinger, I mean, you can name off some Dodgers players. This Giants team has so many players that you don't know their names, and yet they have found a way to be able to continue to win games with not the Stars. It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Jess Mendoza, ESPN MLB analyst. She's with us on the Goodyear Hotline. Speaking of not knowing how they do it, Tampa Bay, I know they spent a little bit more, especially in free agency, but there they are again, sitting at the top without spending money. How are they doing it? Pitching. I mean, this has been their 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 bread and butter. This is what they've always done. And they've created now a basically a blueprint for every team. I mean, honestly, I saw the San Francisco Giants do it with an opener, two openers in a row, in fact, against that huge Dodgers series. This is all at Tampa Bay. In fact, when you look at things like the shift, so many of the things that are now modern-day baseball and kind of the norm were started in Tampa Bay. And they're doing it now with their pitching and the ability to be able to just mix and match different guys without – they're, they're huge starters. I mean, Tyler Glass now is out. You know, I mean, they haven't had even their big names. And I've just been so impressed by how they understand, like, from bullpen guys to be able to mix, match, and get different different dudes to step up. I know I mentioned that with San Francisco, but Tampa does it in a way from the analytics standpoint that they just recognize who to get, how to not spend money, and then how to utilize them throughout the season so they get production continuing, I mean, year after year after year. Hey, real quick before we let you go, uh, Jason Fitz has been doing his Major League Baseball, whittling down from every team to finally try to find one to become a fan of. He's got it down to five. Jason Fitz. Yeah, I, Jason I Fitz. He doesn't have a team. No, no, does no. Not have a team. I, I mean, I'm a. I was born and raised in Vegas as a kid, and you know, lived in Nashville for 20 years. I've got no affiliation. I'm looking for a team to be desperate on, though. So we've been going through this yeah. whole bachelor process. Well, Got to be in your top five then, because they're going to well, be in Vegas. Probably that's what. Year. So he already eliminated them based on deal breakers of the fact that they always messed with his Raiders stadium. But he is open to the possibility, like many bachelor episodes, where someone revisits uh, after being eliminated and tries to fight for another shot. So I get the feeling that might happen <laughs> with the A's. But Right now, we're down to just five. He's made some really terrible decisions, and yet here's where he is. Let me know if you got to today, and we need to make it pretty quick. Today, you got to pick to be a fan of one of these teams starting today. The Red Sox, the Reds, the Brewers, the Yankees, or the Padres? Oh. Oh, gosh. I mean, I like Cincinnati. And I feel like this is a team that you're going to see on the rise. Plus, you're in the same division as Sarah Spain. So you guys get to go head-to-head like all the time with her cubbies. 
um, just mm-hmm. to talk overall smack and just, you know, I feel like the, the Reds and the Cubs are headed in two different directions or they currently are. So like Jason Fitz gets the one up now, like heading into yes. 2022 with like how yes. those arguments those are, rare. are going to go. Those are rare, yeah. Um, but I do have to say the sexy fun. Now we get to plan trips. I mean, San Diego is your team. If like you want to like, okay, I got to go see my team play. Like, hello, downtown like San Diego. Think. That's right. Trip. <laughs> like, I mean, and it's a sexy team. They're fun. They're hot. They're, they're not doing it so much right now, but they're definitely going to be a team of the future that you're going to continue to that's see. A good, that's a good call, on- Jess. It's a good call, yeah, Jess. I wish you, you were going to. I wish you were going to be in San Diego with me next month, and Halle Berry and Sarah McLaughlin and everybody at the ESPNW oh, yeah, Summit. I can make time. Uh, I, neither I'll, of you will be there. Just, there. just me. Just me on the beach, hanging out with Halle Berry. Uh, picture Again, that. I'll make time like that. Just, just... <laughs> Jess, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jess. Absolutely. You guys take care. Jasmine Doe's on Spain and Fitz brought to you by Goodyear with you for every mile on the road to greatness. Goodyear, more driven. Coming up after the horn on a hot debate. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We're getting a lot of reaction on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. A lot of questions coming in, and this is a, a constant one that I'm getting about my elimination of, of San Francisco from my uh, from my list of Major League Baseball teams. I eliminated it because San Francisco is too expensive. I've been called out by Jim Jimson Jr. on Twitter, rightfully so, <laughs> on the Dr. Jimson. Pepper Twitter feed, who <laughs> reminds me that if I spend less on <laughs> Halloween decorations, I can afford to visit San Francisco. Yeah, well, as my mom used Fair. to always say, if my aunt had you-know-what, she'd be my uncle. So, you know, I'm not going to spend less on Halloween decorations. So I'm, I'm still out on the expensive cities there. If ifs and ands were, what is it? If ifs and buts were snacks and nuts. Candy and nuts. There we go. Thank you. That's what I'm looking for. My mom would, used to always say It would be Christmas like, for everyone. I don't know. Something about candy and nuts. If um, a frog I, had a glass behind, it would only jump once. She didn't say it that, that <laughs> cleanly, but that was another another famous Pam Fitzism. There we go. Uh, if Spain, Prince go. had a sister and she married Ron Artest, she'd be the Artest formerly known as Prince. That's really, please somebody cut that and and reuse that repeatedly. Uh, I want to get into a little bit of one of the themes that we saw from week one in the NFL, which was injuries and frankly, rough play. And Sarah, I think it's, it's an interesting sort of which way is the right way, because there's no easy way to handle any sort of conversation about injury, right? But what we saw, and I'll go back to Monday Night Football, the Raiders' offense was expected to be very good. And in the first half, it was terrible. I mean, not only was Derek Carr out of sync, but Darren Waller, the superstar tight end, was also out of sync. Balls that he usually catches were going off his hands. It just everything felt out of rhythm. And I was looking around the press box at one of the few times that I was semi-professional talking to some smart football people saying, hey, what did we expect from a team that did not play any of their offensive starters for any of preseason. So it's almost like this great debate, you know, obviously what are you willing to risk? And, you know, teams are trying to figure out if I put somebody out on the field and God forbid they get hurt, I could be looking at weeks and weeks of loss. If I don't put anybody out in the field, can I get normalized within, let's say, essentially a half of football? I felt like going in, the Raiders coaching staff basically said, hey, we'd rather be rusty and and at least have an attempt to be healthy and take our chances that way. I don't think there's a right answer to it, but I think that sort of plagued a lot of the football we saw in week one. The decision to keep guys healthy meant you were going to see bad football. Yeah, I think that's the problem is there isn't a right answer because it's all revisionist history. It's it's based on the hindsight of did they perform well and can we then say it was because they were rested and healthy or did they perform poorly and then can we say it's because they were rusty and not ready to go, right? I mean, the Rams played fewer starters in the preseason than the Bears did 
And the Rams were ready to go in that game, and the Bears did not look sharp. So I, I think, to me, that's sort of a moot argument. I think it depends a whole lot on is the, is the coach new, is the system new, is the offense new, is the coordinator new, is the quarterback new, are you working with a lot of new weapons, is your offensive line intact? All of those things are going to come into play, and coaches are going to make their decisions based on that. Um, I think, to me, it's, it's a lot of it is bad luck. A lot of it might be field, right, the surface. It might be the training staff and specific types of things that they are either doing or not doing that make their players more susceptible. Um, so I'm not big on trying to pin it on this is the right answer when it comes to preseason. I think that's going to be a different question for every team. And we've seen a lot of teams in week one that did or didn't and have you know results that don't bear out based on that, that theory. Well, and part of what we have to just accept is that injuries are such a huge part of the game at this point. Yeah. How do you manage it? I, I, I can speak for fantasy football owners all over the the world right now that are looking in the app saying, wait, what am I going to do? As you know, Raheem Mostert, uh, the running back out of San Francisco, looks like he may be gone for the season at this yeah, point. Yeah, he announced today officially he is out for the season. And let me just say, and I don't mean this as a joke because I am super bummed about that because I was extremely excited to watch him and Trey Lance and the rest of that offense work together and that speed but he has a chip in his kneecap, and they were playing the Lions who said they were going to be biting off kneecaps, and I'm a little bit worried now that Dan Campbell was not speaking in metaphors, that there is somehow, <laughs> some way, later we're going to see a line in the end zone, and there's going to be poop in the end zone as well. And I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to parse through all of his old pressers and see what might be manifested via voodoo doll or otherwise. Well, and in the meantime, in Washington, uh, things uh, have taken the worst turn because let's be real. Anytime it's your quarterback that goes down, that's a, yeah. a massive issue. And I was high on this Washington football team. You know that. I, I think we all agreed that the defense looked so spectacular. All they had to get was competent quarterback play. Well, the presumption was they were going to get competent quarterback play uh, from Ryan Fitzpatrick. But now we know that Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be out for a substantial amount of time. So all of a sudden, uh, a team like Washington is trying to figure out what to do as Taylor Henneke, who had a little success for them last year. But I don't. I think that drastically changes your expectations for a team that was already going to be – they were already struggling at depth at that position. Completely agree. I mean, this is a team that we knew was going to be about their defense, but there was a lot of excitement around Fitz Magic, of an inconsistent guy who certainly can have off nights, but also can go big, brings a ton of energy, great leadership. There was a lot of excitement around what he might be able to do with a defense as stalwart as this. And now Heineke is just going to get a much bigger sample size to prove to us that what we saw last year wasn't a fluke and that he can show up and be a leader for this team. Um, it certainly does affect my expectations. And it's just a real bummer because, you know, a guy like Fitzpatrick who's bounced around to a number of teams and still had it but doesn't have that much time left, um, you just hate to see it. Yeah, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. I think one of the other ones that really hit me is a guy that I thought was going to take a meteoric jump this year, and that's Jerry Judy, the wide mm -hmm. receiver uh, in Denver. I still think he was the best wide receiver in the class last year uh, coming into the draft, and you know, everybody that I talked to around the team or that watched practice said he was poised to take a huge leap this year, uh, just absolutely explosive in everything he does, and getting better quarterback play from Teddy Bridgewater. While that's not great quarterback play, that was going to be enough in my mind to have Jerry Judy take a huge leap, which is why I drafted him also in all of my fantasy football drafts. Oof. And uh, and now the unfortunate news is it looks like his an ankle injury could keep him out as much as eight weeks. And that for a Denver team that you know also is now they find themselves trying to compete in an incredibly difficult AFC West, that's the sort of blow that costs you a game here or a 
game there, and that's enough to keep you out of the any sort of expectations to be higher in the division. Yeah, they grabbed that nice win over the Giants, but they lose Judy. They also lost their cornerback, Ronald Darby. He's not expected to be out quite as long, but also had to go on IR. He played all 61 defensive snaps uh, in that game and, you know, finished tied with the team high in tackles. So he showed up and was good. We're going to see a lot more Pat Sertan because of that with Darby out. Um, and he's expected to be back before Judy. But it just another one of those teams that got that win but got a hit, and that's your Raiders as well. I mean, the cart situation last night was a, a bit aggressive for the Raiders. Yeah, I mean, Denzel Good, the offensive lineman, it looks like he's torn his ACL. He'll be out for the year now, which is a devastating blow for a team that had no depth there. And Gerald McCoy, who uh, arguably looked like going to be the best uh, defensive in, interior defensive lineman for the team, uh, he's injured. We don't know the full extent. There are several. Yannick Ngakwe now has found himself uh, on the injury report in a way that could linger. He left in the fourth quarter. So this is just what we're going to see. I mean, ultimately, we spend so much time as a media and as fans yelling about our head coaches. I will die constantly on the hill that we need to spend more time focusing on whoever it is for your organization, be it the coach or the GM that's responsible for bringing in talent. Because right now, if you want to win in the NFL, you have to have a larger Rolodex than ever before. Injuries come so fast, and depth is such an issue, especially for teams that are teetering around 500. One or two injuries can keep you completely out of the playoff conversation. So uh, I think that's one of the more dangerous things that we all need to, to be reminded of when we, uh, when we hot take about everything that's happening for our favorite football teams. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Uh, as we, speaking of hot takes, I'm not sure that we did the best with some of our hot takes going into the weekend. We got receipts. How do we do in our five pick Friday? We're going to throw ourselves under the bus and it's going to hurt. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. This song is reason enough for Boston to stay on my list as I go through major league baseball, baseball bachelor. I'm just saying, all right, Sarah, uh, we're, we're, we're going to be honest with the world as every week we're picking some games. And I think it's important that we come back afterwards and we let everybody know, you know, how we did. So as the kids say, we, we got receipts. The picks are in some truly shined while others demand accountability. We've got receipts on Spain and Fitz. This might be the hmm. worst idea we've ever had. I look frankly. forward to uh, like, just crushing it one week where I'm like, no, none of them needed to be accountable. I got them all right. Yeah. You know, let's hope that our season preview uh, predictions go better uh, <laughs> than our actual predictions did over Oof. the course of this week, uh, because it was not a uh, let's say it was not a. Uh, the only piece I can take is this there. It was a bad week one for everybody. But we were both above 500. That's that's all we have. That's the that's I'm the, just, the, you know, I mean, we. Did better than we did worse. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's see how we picked. Let's go. I picked the Bucks over the Cowboys. Good for you. I'm taking the Jags over the Texans. My theme this year is picking against the Texans every week. I must have pressed the wrong button. I've got the 49ers over the Lions. On your best day, you're not as smart as I am on my worst day. The Raiders get the win! I'm wow. picking with my heart! Just win, baby. I'm gonna go ahead and take the Rams over the Bears. Success! Woo! Woo, woo, woo. I think the Bills are going to roll the Steelers. You almost think I'm pretty stupid. I've got the Packers beating the Saints. Wow, well, it's terrible. I think Iowa's gonna pull it off and beat Iowa State. You're a very smart guy. You're compelling. I've got the Titans over the Cardinals. That stinks. 
Well done, Stash. Uh, you somehow made me smile while revisiting uh, the picks that I did not make correctly. But three and two. Both of us are still, like I said, just cling to being above 500. That's it, Fitz. Well, the one thing that I take away from that is that Annabelle is undefeated, by the way. Every Saturday, she picks the winner of the game uh, for game day, and she is now 2-0. and I stole the Iowa pick from her. She has demanded credit. So, uh, you know, I feel I feel like I, I, I've got to give her a little bit of love here because she's undefeated. But 3-2, and two, I'll take. If we finish 3-2 and two every week, by the end of the year, we would be legends. Right. I mean, if we were gambling our own hard-earned money and we were constantly on the winning side of things, we would feel pretty good. Unfortunately, uh, we started off a lot stronger last year, if I remember correctly. We were, um, we were, you know, constantly hitting at a 5-0, 4-1 pace for quite a while. So this is, a, this is a rough start for us. And based on week one of games, I feel like there are some pretty big question marks. It's going to be tough to make picks. Yeah, it is going to be tough to make picks, and you're right. Last year I started particularly confident, made some wagers, and then I got a little overconfident and lost it all. So this year I'm I'm dabbling with much more, let's say, uh, uh, reservation. I, you know, it's it's a, it's a light dabble this time. We'll see where it goes. Uh, Dipping a toe. The, the uh, they're not dipping a toe, by the way, uh, in everything revol- revolving around COVID protocol uh, for the NFL over the course of week one. I think there is an interesting note. You know, I was obviously at the Raiders game Monday night and the rule at that stadium is that you must be vaccinated to enter uh, unless you get vaccinated on site. If you are vaccinated on site, then you can enter with the mask on. So they have a different like way for you to walk in and all of these things. I'm not sure what the testing protocol is around that. I honestly don't know. But there were uh, there was a massive line. I was actually uh, kind of surprised. There was a massive line of people, I think, that weren't aware of the policy and then got to the stadium and just decided, all right, I will wait in this line and uh, I will get the, the vaccine right now in the tent if that's what it takes. So uh, interesting to me, now that we've seen Buffalo added, they become the fourth team as of today that requires you be fully vaccinated to go to a Bills game. So uh, another uh, stadium making that that plunge, as you'd say. Yeah, I guess I need to learn more about exactly that, you know, vaccine on the spot and why they would be, what the impetus was given to them for doing it there. I'm glad if that was an encouragement for people to get it. Everyone should get it. I just would need to understand some of the protocols there. But I do think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, Fitz. We are going to see COVID issues this year perhaps even more than last year for a couple of reasons. One, the vaccine does give people, and I'm included in this, a little bit of a false sense of security because it doesn't feel as dire as last year when we still were unsure about the effects of COVID, the long hauler effects, the ability to transfer it to our loved ones. It is less likely to transfer, less likely to get, less likely to suffer serious effects, less likely to die from. There are so many benefits to the vaccine, but it doesn't make you immune. It doesn't mean as like any other virus and any other vaccine, you are not immune from getting it because you had it. And I think some people might be behaving outside of protocols and not as carefully as last year because of the vaccine. And then those who have always been sort of flippant about it, same deal, because they are now given a looser set of protocols because the vast majority are vaccinated, they're acting, you know, in a way that doesn't befit their situation. And we've already seen a couple players miss, including Zach Martin for the Cowboys in that big week one. And now the New Orleans Saints have eight members of the organization test positive. That's six offensive coaches, a player and a nutritionist, wide receiver Michael Thomas, one of those on that list. Uh, currently on the pup list, so not able to return to practice anyway, but is uh, is now on that as well. So eight people for the Saints. I mean, this is, uh, I think, Fitz, going to take people rejiggering their expectations for what it means to be in this still very serious COVID world. 
Yeah, and, and what's also interesting is the Saints are one of four teams that require everybody that be in the stadium be vaccinated. So that's proof to your, your entire conversation here that while that is a step, and I understand why everybody's doing it, you could definitely, I mean, everybody that walked into uh, to Allegiant Stadium on Monday night uh, obviously had had the vaccination or, or, like I said, had just been vaccinated or they had to go through the Clear app and do all of these different steps to be inside. But that didn't change the fact that much like we're used to in a football game, at the end of the game, you have strangers hugging. And, I, you know, I just don't know the hows and the whys and what everybody should do and how people should do it. And you've got a bunch of people that are vaccinated but not wearing masks randomly, you know, hugging strangers. And probably it's Vegas with a lot of alcohol, probably more than hugging strangers. Right. So, you know, I, I just don't know how all of that I, – I'm not smart enough to know all of that. But it is interesting to see – uh, any NFL team that comes in and makes a, a a blanket statement of this is what we require is prepared for the blowback that may come from the political statements around it or from the fans that that are angry about it. So you know, I, I it's interesting to see how confident some organizations will be standing up for it, even if they wanted it. Yeah, I I do think that it's going to be interesting to see too. We just heard from the NBA today that they're not going to require vaccinations for players. It is kind of interesting for teams to require fans, but for the the teams not to be able to require players. I guess the difference is one is your job and one is a choice, right? You don't have a right to attend football games or basketball games. Um, and, and maybe it's the CBA coming to play. I'm not exactly sure why, but it feels like it's an interesting dichotomy there. By the way, Chargers head coach Brandon Staley tomorrow morning. You don't want to miss 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. Don't forget to check them out every morning from 6 to 10 Eastern. They'll get you caught up on the latest news and happenings around the league. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We talked about Norm McDonald's early and untimely passing earlier in the show, and I happened upon a tweet that he sent a couple years ago, and I thought it was a nice way to close out our show and send a message to all of you listening as well. Uh, this is what he wrote uh, and, and you know, it actually reminds me, too, of sort of the idea that I've had in my head all along of how we should all approach life, this gratitude that I think some people don't really have. He wrote, um, at times, the joy that life attacks me with is unbearable and leads to gasping, hysterical laughter. I find myself completely out of control and wonder how could life surprise me again and again and again so completely? How could a man be a cynic? It is a sin. Such a great way to look at life. So R.I.P. Norm McDonald. It's news from Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.